Hi, good morning, Night Vale listeners, fans, owners, and future patrons. Yes, we said it, patrons. We are launching a Patreon. So we can do cool things like bring you more fun slash weird content and have some cash to pay our editors and mixers. If you were thinking I'd love to buy those Good Morning Night Vale hosts a beer or a froyo or two semesters of tuition at mortuary school. Now you can, but instead of beers and yogurt and embalming fluid, it's cash so we can use it to keep bringing you this show. We have great perks for our patrons, like ad-free episodes and exclusive backstage tour videos and pictures, including video from our recent trip to White Castle. It was fine. Totally fine. Plus, a bonus monthly fan zone only episode, bi-monthly live fan zones, shout-outs in the credits, recipes, and food recs from the cast. I, Hal Lublin, will make scones for you on the internet. Plus, monthly weird, personalized gifts and snacks delivered by mail from the cast. I have a lot of weird Night Vale shit in my house, and for the right price, it's coming your way. And the opportunity to be a guest on Good Morning Night Vale on the future episode of your choice. And more. If you love us or even just like us, check out our Patreon and keep our love alive with your sweet, sweet cash. Go to patreon.com slash goodmorningnightvale. That's patreon.com. Good morning, Night Vale. We are forever in your hearts. And in your earbuds. And in your bank accounts. It's fine. We We love love you. you. This is a story about you, said the man on the radio. And you were pleased because you always wanted to hear about yourself on the radio. Good morning, Night Vale. Everybody, it's me, Meg Bashwiner, your friend who talks to you in the show Good Morning Night Vale, and sometimes on other shows. And it's me, Symphony, your other friend who giggles shrilly. And it's me, Hal Lublin. We're getting to know each other, but I think it's going well. And this is Good Morning Night Vale. If you are new to the show, we are three cast members of the aforementioned Welcome to Night Vale, and we do recaps episode by episode. We are doing a deep dive into the show you love so much, and uh, today is a story about you. And today's episode description is, you listen to a podcast, you check the episode description to see what is in store this time. It is a different kind of description than you are used to. You suspect the episode will be a different kind of episode than you are used to. You listen. That's a good description. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it does. And I think it's a good description in the sense that it. this is the first episode that really flips the convention of what this show can be on its head. And so let's start by having the description be something different than the standard description. So yeah, this episode, this is one of my favorites, this one. Yeah. Um, I'd put this up there as a favorite. Agree. I think it's a fan favorite, too. I think a lot of people will really enjoy this episode. Yeah, I appreciate that it breaks the rules that it has set forth about how this story is told, how the stories from Night Vale are told. And uh, it has, before, up until this, we spent 12 episodes hearing stories one way, and now we have this episode uh, 13, which goes about it in a completely different way. So, yeah, so what's what are our initial, like, gut reactions and revelations after our re-listen? Well, first of all, 
episode 13, just the, you know, for those of you, this is in the future, but when we're recording this episode, it was just Friday the 13th, and now we're recording the 13th episode. I think that's not a coinky dink. Oh, that rhymed. <laughs> Way to go. See, that's that's proof that it's the devil. The devil's in the rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> and rhymes are the details of poems. Or hip-hops. True. Exactly that. <laughs> it strikes me as interesting listening uh, where we are right now, just in the original life of the show. Because this was not at a point where the show had taken off yet. And and part of the impression that I had from this, because it is such a switch up from what we've been sort of been taken through for the past 12 episodes, that it's sort of this weird mix of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where we're sort of taken off to the side of all of the goings on. And and also this play in it with the, the tense, not the tense of the story, but the that it's all in the second person. That's it. Right. It's all in the second person. And there was a part of me that was like, wow, this was so early in the run that that without the fr- – like you're, you're sort of unencumbered by this idea of here's how many people are listening right now. That, like there's almost no pressure at this point and they can take these risks. But but then I came to this idea, this realization of like, well, Joseph and Jeffrey wouldn't be – it's not like they won't take risks now. It's I don't think they, – they, they are not people – who have ever struck me as like, well, we have to cater now to this outside idea of mm-hmm. what everybody expects the show to be. It's they are open to experiment as they see fit to make the most interesting thing to them. And this is a great example of that early on. And I think that's what what people key into and what they like about the show so much is that idea that that these two creators are just sort of unleashing their ideas at you. Well, and I think what a great way to experiment, right, in changing basically the format, but not really, because we still get all of the elements of the show, basically, but just from a different point of view. Even you can tell from Cecil's voice acting, there's a difference in tone to his voice because he's speaking kind of through this other person, like through this other person's eyes. That's what I I feel. And I really enjoy that even though there is this departure from the normal type of story, we're still incorporating things in the story that that we've learned already, like Josie and the Angels, the Moonlight All Night Diner, um, the Sandwastes. And also, I cannot get over the Scrublands and Sandwastes. Like, what a fun thing to say. (laughs) <laughs> it's like fun in your mouth, you know? It is. And that's the best place to host fun is in your mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> boldly forward. All right. Yes. No, I agree. Yes, I mean, yes, it is this. It is the departure from the normal way the story is told. But the story is the plot of the arc of this season is still driving forward. So we are still getting things about Josie and the angels and the desert flower bowling alley and uh, what's happening underneath it and, and those things. So it is still in the world of it. Um, from a, a writing standpoint on this one, um, taking a look at it, because it is setting the protagonist as you, I feel like we're getting a lot of interesting descriptions of what it feels like to be you mm-hmm. in the text. So we get a lot of stuff about what things look like, what things feel like, what things smell like, so that you can, as a as a 
person who may be a you put yourself really into the world of this. Um, I'm trying to take a look. Yeah, there's um, one part where they're talking about the crate and what the crate smells like right. and feels like. So we get the, the warmth of the, of the crate, but also the smell is that it's sharp and earthy, like freshly ground cinnamon. And the humming. Um, the humming. The humming. And then the, the several times throughout it, they say that the wind is hot. Um, and that it smells like honey and mud. Yes. So we're getting we're getting feeling uh, feeling things. There's so much sensory uh, yes. elements in this one. And also, I just thought this one was a great bit of storytelling. Like, what the heck? Because it was such a change from this, like, oh, we're going back and forth listening to a radio show to this basically reading of a novel. You know, this short story that is just like so. You are feeling and thinking, you, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm behind this guy's eyes or this person's eyes, and it's just wonderful. Also, the Apache tracker is speaking Russian. Yeah, Apache tracker, Apache tracker <laughs> who smells like potting soil and sweat, by the way. That's what he smells like. Yeah. Um, like like a truffle. Ooh. Um, yeah, the <laughs> Apache tracker, now the Apache tracker speaks Russian. Right. <laughs> and uh, what is it? It says they're coming. They're coming from underground or coming from underneath. That's the translation yes. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think you, you Which nailed is creepy. it, uh, Meg, what you were talking about, that idea of, and, and you as well, Symphony, that idea of, of how dropped into it you are. This really, as a listener, you're brought in and forced to pay attention in a way that, that, that you don't really experience in this medium and a lot of storytelling where you're sort of watching or listening to things be laid out for you. That's generally the the mode that you're in as an audience member. So to take that and flip it a little bit, and all of a sudden the story is about you, whoever you are, wherever you are, you're now picturing yourself in this sort of virtual reality uh, setup of Night Vale. And, and it's, it's more descriptive than anything we've had to this point to really, like th- there's so many hooks that are given to you as a listener to bring you in and whether it's smells or sounds or the way things look, there's something familiar for everybody who listens to it. So it's, mm. it can be deeply personal as a listening experience, which is just a brilliant way to tell a story. And then it, as far as how it relates to the plot, it kind of reminds me, you know, if, if the overall arc of a season is you're driving from point A to point B down a road, and that road can twist and turn and go a number of ways, but you're heading from point A to point B, and your little subplots are exits that you take and get back on. This one mm-hmm. feels like you go off the road, you circle around it a couple of times, and then get back on. So mm-hmm. there are things happening that are not really related to the road, but you're always kind of circling that main journey and coming back to it. Which is a like a really interesting. It makes me more invested in everything that's happened so far and in what's going to happen next. Yeah, agreed, absolutely. It is yeah, such a new way of telling the story from from this world. It's a really is a interesting exercise in that. Um, and in the script book, Joseph talks about how he had the idea for this, but it was not something that he had fleshed out until we were on vacation and got sick and just were kind of stuck inside on a beach vacation where it was raining and we were sick. And he had the time to sit down and hammer this out and figure out how to do this. So this is his fever dream of a (laughs) rainy, rainy beach vacation. Did did you talk about it at all at that time? Yes. Yes. Uh, We did talk about it at the time. Uh, Just that he was trying something new. Uh, and that he thinks it might be something interesting. 
And that was I re- that's what I remember from that time. If only all sick times you were sick were so productive, you know? Because I feel like generally when you're sick, you're like, ugh, I don't want to do anything. But he had this wacky idea and it uh, really paid off. Um, can we talk a little bit about this? Like, this is the first time we've heard about someone who lived outside Night, outside Night Vale before, before, mm-hmm. before what? I don't know. Um, and, you know, it goes through and talks about um, when, the, especially when the fiance comes back, dude, I was like, whoa. And I, I've heard this. Ep- that's the thing. I've heard this episode, but it was so <laughs> long ago that like things are blowing my mind that I like completely forgot about. But just that he had a life, he had a job, he had all those things and that the permanence of those things or the consequences for him just up and leaving that life were close to nothing. And then she just shows up. But like, he also didn't know how long he had been there, you know, how long ago he had left type things. Yeah. There's so, there's so much unknown about where that comes from. We don't even know that you is a he. I know. I just thought, I just thought about that in my head. I was like, no, Cecil, I mean, he Cecil keeps saying you and not he, she, no gender qualifiers. Um, and I think that's also very interesting. Um, but I don't know why I put myself like, isn't that funny? Actually, I put myself as a male in this and I don't know why I think because of like the living in a trailer, but he lives next to Josie. I keep saying he, why is that? What is that? It's hard to say you in that. Isn't it just a fun way to exercise pronouns? Um, it's, it's, (laughs) it's difficult to say you when talking about someone that's not you. <laughs> so Right. And maybe um, maybe that's it. Like even though it does say it's a story about you, I feel like there's a very other thing. Like it's not me personally, Symphony Sanders, and how I associate. I'm feel like I I was transported into someone else. So what's more someone else than what could be other an other for me? And that yeah. that would be a dude. Dude. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I, my impulse was that that you uh, was male because of heteronormativity. Sure. And I was like, like the, 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 you has a fiancé who's a woman, so, you know, uh, and then also you has the job of lifting crates and moving right. crates around. And there are many people who identify as she who uh, or have fiancés who are women and have, who lift <laughs> crates around for work. But because of that, like, you know, because of that knowledge of our culture, I went there right away. But um, now I've after thinking about it, it's been an interesting exercise to to ungender this and just be like, well, it's you. It doesn't necessarily need to pick a side, or if it does pick a side, it doesn't have to be the one that I initially thought it did. Right. Well, my mind is blown. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, we're getting real deep. I love it. We're doing it. We're getting the shovels out. I. You, for, this is the episode. This is it. We finally <laughs> are going to get down to the truth of all this. I For me, it was – I just imagined me. I imagined I am in this wow. situation now, and it's descriptive of me. And that's sort of what I was saying before is whoever it is, however you identify on whatever spectrum that you like, it's about you. And whatever you imagine is correct. And that's brilliant – that's a brilliant way to tell a story because, you know, you talk about heteronormativity. In any story where you're watching things play out, you are more and more likely to just live by whatever the storyteller's assumptions are. 
Mm. Whereas when the story is about you and you are the character in it and they, they're very careful or just don't even think it like it's not really about whether you're male or female. It's about the environment and the other people and the things that are happening to, to help immerse you in the story. So that's, that's the, the brilliance of that experience is like, if you think you were male, you are not wrong. If you think you're female, you're not wrong. If you think you're beyond the binary, also correct. You could be anything, you could be an object and it would still be like, you could go back and listen to this multiple times and imagine what you are every single time. And I think it would yield something, you would find something different in the story based on that. If if you in the story was an object, what object would you be? I immediately thought of an obelisk. <laughs> I, I think of a <laughs> like a forklift. big black obelisk. I thought of a forklift because I. If can't that isn't heteronormative, then yeah, I don't know. right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's what would you be? Do you think? Oh, if I was an object uh-huh. in this. Can't make my brain do that. Let me think. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine myself outside of a corporeal form. This is why I create nonfiction. I don't like to imagine things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I would be a piece of invisible pie. Ooh. Oh, lovely. Because I can imagine food. That's the only <laughs> thing. <laughs> and they, uh, the, when he goes to the moonlight all night di- diner, he, uh, you, uh, is like orders pie and is sees the pie is obviously there because they hate invisible pie. I wonder, like, is the invisible pie in my brain? I'm like, is it very much like the emperor's new clothes? Like someone's just like, oh yeah, this is invisible pie and there's actually nothing there, or is it an actual thing? It's just invisible. Does it have a taste? Like I don't know. This is my brain. I think I'm thinking too deeply on this, maybe. <laughs> no, I think you're. I think this is the question we need to be asking. I I didn't think about it because I was so uh, I was annoyed at the idea of that I would order strawberry pie instead of cherry or apple. That was the one part of this episode that pulled me out. I was like, I don't want strawberry pie. I mean, I like strawberries. I like them fine. Yeah, I don't like strawberry pie. It it's seems the like a, It seems like a very specific. Like I don't. I don't want that. <laughs> Why am I eating? Joseph Fink is a big strawberry guy. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Figures. if I were to if I were to go pie, I'm a cherry. I'm a cherry gal. Sure, of course Person. you are. Of course, any sort of fruit pie, really, but preferably a good, not sweet, sweet, like tart, sweet. You know, like sure. the perfect mix of tart and sweet. Yes, just like you. That's right. <laughs> I like blueberry. If I, if I had to pick a berry, I'd go. Like a blueberry oh, kind of thing, okay. but if I, I, I if I'm picking a fruit pie in general, I like a peach pie. Oh, peach, peach pie! I good. could fuck up a peach pie. I literally blackout ha- ate half of a pie, a peach pie one time, and when the person was like, they they had just brought it over, and I like blacked out and ate half of it, and they walked in the room and were like, "Hey, that was for everyone," and I just looked up with a mouthful of pie, like, "Whoop." <laughs> it reminds me of a story that my sister was telling us we were this was uh, a time i think it was in our earlier 20s where my sister and i would um we'd do a thing that sometimes people would do uh, and then after afterwards you'd feel hungry um 
because you sat in a garage <laughs> exercising in a circle of folding chairs um, <laughs> sitting around after having gathered procured some herbs um i have no lo- idea what you're talking from a, about from a, lo- a local herb salesman uh, uh we were sharing stories about sometimes the aftermath of what that can be and uh our friends were talking about eating large amounts of bread or not having anything in the house to eat and just licking bouillon cubes and oh. eating dry pasta and uh my sister shared a story of uh what she ate and included in the things that she ate was three different types of pie, but twice. She ate three different types of pie and then for good measure did it again. Well, I've, I've told the story. I, it was, it's on an episode of we got this one of the early ones of, of the time I was in New Zealand and ate an apple pie in the shower. But you're so a hero, to say, What? <laughs> You're a hero, Hal Lublin. You know I've heard what? of shower beer, but I've never done shower pie. Yeah, I used to smoke cigarettes in the shower, but you really... <laughs> <laughs> That's like a depressed person in 1943. Like That's like a Smoking in the shower, like, just... <laughs> had you been, just been beat up? Like, what? I... Sometimes no. What happened? Why why, you ate an apple pie in the shower because you were rushing to go somewhere and hadn't had breakfast? <laughs> no? Nope. <laughs> I, I want to leave that story, but I, suffice it to say, I'm now thinking about going and getting pie after this. You should. Yeah. I want pie. Do you not have places that are open late? Not pie places. I would have to go to a jewel. I would have to go to a grocery. Yeah, and that's where I'm going to go. Are, but some of them are not, I don't. But some of them are good. I know, but I, it's like too often, especially bakery stuff. I'm like, I want it fresh. Like, mm. I want to know that it was baked that day, and it should be still slightly warm when I got when I get it. Or heat it up. Yeah, well, that's the microwave. That's why it's yeah. there. I don't use the microwave. your friend. Why? What? Never? No. Are you going to say it changes the food? I don't like... <laughs> okay, if something's supposed to be crispy, it doesn't go back to being crispy in the microwave. Right. And that pisses me off. But also, <laughs> it makes things like dry and weirdly mushy at the same time. But certain things are great in the microwave, but generally I prefer toaster oven. That's just who I am as a person. What, what is good in a microwave? And not popcorn. Don't say popcorn. Well, no. no. Like mel- melting butter for cooking. Um, I use it to like reheat like my refried beans on burrito night. If you're going to, yeah, like things like that that are like quick. You just need to like reheat something. It's great if you like wrap up like uh, like tortillas. You need to like get those heated up. You can do those in twenty seconds. Put a like uh, a moist towel over the top, a moist uh, paper towel over the top, and like heat up. Those will be nice and soft and perfect, and you don't have to do the individual like in the pan or like on the stovetop tortillas. You know that's great. You know just like little things. But I'm not gonna like cook shit in the microwave, you know, like not actual shit, but like cook anything. <laughs> I'm not going to cook shit. <laughs> Don't. Um, the I one, wouldn't. one thing I was actually surprised about, uh, microwave food, uh, was there's this one macaroni and cheese. It's a truffle macaroni and cheese and it's good in the microwave. It's weird. I don't know why it works, but it does science, I guess could be science um all right back to the back to the moonlight all night, all night diner mm. home of the miserable pie sure um 
I, I love the ritual by which you pay your check at the Moonlight All Night Diner. It's just one just of those whispering. great little details. Great little world building details about, well, how does this thing work there? Check, please. And then after, uh, then you then leaves the diner. And uh, as you start the car, the man on the radio says something about the weather. So I think uh, that's a really interesting way of still reminding us that we are inside a Night Vale episode. Yep. But also, uh, and that the, that you, this is actually being broadcast and, and you is experiencing this in real time. So we kind of go off on the tangent of this is how checks work in the diner and this is weird stuff going on with the Apache tracker in Russian, but that just brings you right back into the episode. Yeah, um, and that happened a couple times. You hear, you overhear the radio talking about you or something that you're doing and you're excited. It happens like four or four or five times throughout the episode, you know, with the, with the dudes that are... Um, the one guy with the knife against your throat? Are we talking about that yet? <laughs> the one person, the, what's the one man who is not tall and the one man who is yeah. not short? Yes. Yeah. That shit's fucked up. I it doesn't like, hurt, though. Oh, I know, but like, what? I, I don't know. I have a weird thing about people threatening people with knives, and I don't even know if he's threatening you. But like, I guess I would be if somebody put a knife against my throat. They better be threatening me. Well, you took something that wasn't theirs. I know. Not that the man who isn't tall, the man who isn't short, has the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. But right. You was definitely playing with fire. True. True. And when you play with when you play with fire, what's going to happen? Get burned. You burn. <laughs> you burn. <laughs> um, I had this thing that I, I was talking to Joseph about today because I was like, "There's an issue with the geography in this episode." Oh, really? So you get used in the car. You puts the crate in their trunk uh, uh, from their house and starts driving. Uh-huh. And there's the whole description about driving uh, away and seeing all the different things that are in Night Vale and driving past all the things. Right. And then they get to old woman Josie's house. Which is which out by is, your house, right? Which is supposed to be next door to you. So they go on this, you goes on this big drive, but just gets backed either back. Then you is driving in a circle or there's some sort of, yeah, there's a geography issue. And I was like, Joseph, what's the deal with this? And he was just kind of weird and vague, and I couldn't put, couldn't pin him down. <laughs> you live with him, if anybody can. I know. I was like, also, I went, like, I, also were you trying to physically pin him down? <laughs> no, not today. Um, but I was like, I mentioned this to him, like, kind of in passing in the hallway at our house. And then he, like, was being a little cagey about it. And I was like, well, you think about it, and then we'll talk about it over dinner. <laughs> <laughs> And then he was still cagey about it. So um, so I think it's up for us to analyze. Mm. Well, okay. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go back to that section because uh, doop, doop, doop. <laughs> yep. This episode's brought to you by Doop, 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 by the way. They're our new sponsors. <laughs> so that's, what it sounds like, that's what it sounds like when I read. <laughs> bop, bop, bop. Doop, doop, doop. Is that why you're not allowed in libraries? Oddly enough. Uh, yes, exactly. Not just me attacking people. Yeah. We have a library. homeless guy full on masturbating at a computer, but we have to ask you to leave because you keep saying dupe, dupe, dupe while you're reading a book. <laughs> Dude, actually, that happens all the time at libraries because people go there and like they don't have internet anywhere else. And so they get on and they look at the sexiness and then they're like, whack it in the public library. And I'm like, there's children, bro. 
There's also uh, adults who don't need to see you whacking it. Yeah. But at least they're like more aware of like. Yeah, they're like, okay. That's enough. They understand the social contract dictates that you make a thousand yard stare in another direction and never speak about it to anybody again. As opposed to a child is like, what's that? What are they doing? The mother hurriedly like covers the eyes and scurries away like in a yeah. 1950s movie. That man keeps trying to pee. <laughs> I love a 1950s movie that involves a library with the internet and computers in it. <laughs> no, I was I not that part. I was just talking about like when the when uh mom always like covers the eyes when they when the kid sees something they're not supposed to see. That's indecent. Not the com- like a computer in not- the 1950s. Yeah. Do you remember uh, in On the Damn Waterfront it, when when Marlon Brando was using an iPhone to try and find work? Okay, I know our listeners can't see this right now, but I'm making a very sourpuss face. I want like pie. my face is shriveled up. How wants pie? I'm hungry for pie. Everybody wants pie. I'm sorry, I'm so on. You need it in the shower. I can get in the shower and eat some pie. And this is the time we'll remind people that Hal does not drink or do drugs. So yeah, to, and this was three years ago. This is not like this wasn't like a child. This was three years ago. I was a full. I was a grown ass man with my wife asleep <laughs> in the hotel room with the same hotel Follow room question. I was in. Yes. Follow up question. Were you eating it with like a fork on a plate or was this where you just had like a handful of pie in the shower? Oh, there's no fork and there was no plate. <laughs> there was only Zool. <laughs> yes. Was it, wait, was the shower on or were you just standing in it? The shower was on. Who 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 goes to eat pie in the shower without the shower oh, running? Maybe not, you you don't want to make crumbs. I like you know. I like the echoing noise. That's actually why I was eating it in the shower. <laughs> so, Sorry, you wouldn't make a okay. mess. I was hungry. I didn't know more, how long my wife was going to be asleep. <laughs> more follow up questions. Okay, so you, the shower was on and running. Yeah. Had you done any of the shower business, or was the whole thing just a decoy? All right, look, I'll tell the story. Fine, I'll tell the story. <laughs> Uh, we had gone to uh, the night market in Wellington the night before. I can't remember the name uh-huh. of the street that it is on, but it is a well-known night market. I've been there. Yes, you've been there. Uh, yeah. And they had like a pie vendor there. I got an apple pie, which looked good. I was like, maybe I'll eat this later. Went in the fridge. The morning comes, and I, I tend to wake up very early. And at the time, my, my beautiful wife, Jennifer, would wake up very late. Okay. So I was like, nobody else is around. Because we were at the, we had finished this is during the Thrilling Adventure Hour tour, and we'd already we already done these were extra days. No, I'm sorry, it was our first night there. There was more stuff happening, but I didn't want to bother anybody. And I was like, I really want breakfast right now, but I don't know how long Jennifer will be asleep. Right. I could eat that pie, and then I was like, I don't have a fork and I have no plate, and it will make a mess. So what I'll do is I'll throw the box out and I will go and eat the pie in the shower. <gasps> With the shower running, so warm water on my back, eating a refrigerated, like, personal apple pie. It was not, like, a full one. And as I'm eating it, I'm like, this is... Oh, so it's crust all the way around. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was, like, a slice of pie. No. This is, like, a full-on... It's a mini pie. But not a mini. Like, it's, like, a... I don't know. Six inches? Eight inches? Whatever it is. That's... How it's a, a decent full pie? It's, a, it's not a full pie. It's not like what you get at a bakery. Point is... I was eating it, and I was like, I was over, I was overwhelmed with shame, overwhelmed, 
And I was like, no one ever has to know that I did this. I'm never going to tell anybody. Like, this is the perfect crime because all the evidence is being swept down the drain. (laughs) When I see Jennifer's awake, the first thing out of my mouth is, you won't believe what I did this morning. I tell her. And I'm like, well, the story dies here. She's not going to tell anybody. Then I'm recording We Got This with Mark, and we're talking. I think it was like showers versus baths. It was something like this very early on. And I, and, and I told the story. I was like, nope, I'm going to tell it. This story needs – now I'm like at a place of maybe what I did was smart. You're a hero to many people, How Lublin. Thank you. Oh, I think there's a, a ton of merit to, to that. When you were describing the warm water yeah. and the chilled pie, I was like, that's heaven. It sounds yes. nice. That's a great Saturday if I've ever heard one. But also, yeah, I can understand why you would be feeling shame in that moment. But sometimes the best way Because <laughs> you're weird to you're eating pie in the shower. But it's nice. It sounds nice. Yeah. And sometimes the best way to deal with your shame is by telling someone about it immediately. I think it's better <laughs> to not have to to not have to die with that. And sometimes I think you can be surprised. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I think you can be surprised by people who would be sympathetic to that thing. And one of those sympathetic people it's me, Hal Leblin. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. appreciate that. That means a lot to me. I feel like a failure that I haven't eaten pie in the shower. There's still time. There's so much time. <laughs> Bucket list. Yeah. You're going back. Yeah. I'll, I'm sure that vendor's still there. Just in the morning, take a shower, eat that pie. <laughs> Happy breakfast to you. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a, a good, really good shower food because while it is in, inventive for you to be eating a pie in the shower, I don't know if that is the best application of the environment. I think maybe there's foods that are more appropriate for a shower. A burrito? A shower is tough because number one, you're standing up, there's water like everywhere. And it's tough to like, you know, handle things. Like I eat ice cream in the bathtub because that seems decent to me. Because you're a modern woman. Yeah. And that's how I luxuriate. Self-care is sexy, baby. I love that. Wow, you're the hero now. A bowl of ice cream, a nice lush bath bomb, you know, a glass of wine, some Netflix playing on my... Oh, I have a set up. I've got candles going. I'm romancing myself. It's great. I have a full set. Like, there's a table next to my bathtub. So, and I want to upgrade to one of those things where you can, it goes across your bathtub. Yeah. It's like a table. Yeah, sure. I want that. You can get that. I like to sit in my bathtub until it goes cold. I need to treat myself better. Sometimes I eat yogurt in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Meg. Okay, also, I'm imagining now that the yogurt has been in the car the whole time. (laughs) You have your car yogurt? I do have a confession. I recently just pulled a yogurt spoon out of my car that had been in there for six months. Wow, like a a piece of, not disposable, like a piece of silverware. No, it was like a metal spoon from my home that I brought in the car so that I could eat yogurt in the car. And, uh, you know, and then... I finished the yogurt and I threw away the, the yogurt container, but then I'm not going to throw away my spoon. No. Those, you know, that was from Ikea. I'm not gonna, they don't grow on trees. <laughs> sure. So, uh, yeah. And then so recently, I actually just, just yesterday, I took it out of the car. I was with Joseph. And he's like, you ever going to take that yogurt spoon out of the car? And It was clean, though, because you had, like, licked all <laughs> the yogurt. I licked it clean, oh. yeah. Because I was no, like, there's just, like, yogurt in it? There's a little yogurt still on it, but it's, you know. It's not moldy or anything. No, it's past that. We're it's past that point. Well, past that point. Yeah. The microbes have come and gone. 
Well, All right. This is one of the better episodes of Welcome to Night Vale ever written, and we've spent it talking about lots of important things. Look, we did right at the top. Generally, at the top yeah. is where we get all wonky and off. We did it at the perfect time. We earned this. I think we were just so excited. We were so excited about this episode that we really dove in. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then we had to catch up. Well, speaking of diving in, up next, we're going to hear from you the fans and friends of the podcast about your theories and comments and questions. But first, how about a conversation about this episode's weather, which is You Don't Know by Mount Moon. And You Don't Know by <laughs> Mount Moon. I love the segue to this weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just yes. like, yep, and here we are at, at the weather. And then we, uh, we hear from, from Mount Moon. And yeah. A very vibrato-y sound. And I don't know why, in my brain, I just kept thinking, is this person a witch? <laughs> um, this is a person that we found, they were busking on the subway. Whoa. Really? They were that, yeah, Joseph and I heard them at the Bedford Avenue L-Stop and uh, got their information and then really enjoyed their music. And then... Uh, I guess Joseph approached them about being the weather, and here we are. And then also the uh, this album that this one comes off of, the f- second half of the album was recorded live at the Metropolitan G-Stop. Oh, whoa. So this song wasn't, but the other uh, other ones on this album were. So that's kind of cool. And I think that Mount Moon goes by a different name now. Okay. But, yeah. Well, that's – I mean, the sound already was very, like, distant. You know, the vocals and the – is like, distant. It wasn't, like – right up on the mic. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. there sounded like there was space around in that room. And I, I always find that interesting when you hear music recorded like that, it just seems more like you are also in the room with the people. Do you know what I mean? Yes, you are. See, and that's why it works with this episode, yo. <laughs> it's, it has kind of a twee-ish sound to me. It reminds me a lot of a song called me and you by a band called slow club, which is, a fantastic song, uh, another fantastic song. And they, it's not a direct lift of it, but they're similar enough to one another that I, it sort of uh, scratched the same itch that that Slow Club, Club song does for me. So I really like one of the more enjoyable weathers for me. And, and again, because I was along for the ride and because of the way in which it was introduced, it mm-hmm. had way more context, even if the message of the song has nothing to do with what's going on at all, there's a reason why we're listening to music right now. And that is that is refreshing from the way that the weather is normally introduced, which feels to me a lot of times like these are musicians we like, we want to put them in. And here's the slot we figured out for it early on. And it's it just becomes sort of playing the – just using that idea of like, we're, here's a musician we like and this is where we're going to slot them in. Um, yeah, I will say about from just from a structural standpoint uh, that this the weather comes almost in the middle of this episode. Usually, the weather is towards the end, yeah. or at least like three quarter mark. This one is like almost in the middle. So uh, yeah, it, it it serves as a kind of more of an act break, like a act one, act two break, as opposed to a, like a final little uh, right. rip, get us to, get us to the epilogue kind of thing that the weather often does. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah, this is a fun song, and uh, it's yeah, it was a cool that we had happened upon this performer, and it, it, listening to it brought me back to those days when we lived off of the Bedford Avenue L, um, back when this the Lightfield was first starting, when Joseph and I lived in a tiny, sweaty, 
uh, apartment that had weird black goo dripping from the ceiling. <laughs> uh, um, so it was nice to be transported back to there, and listening to it now from my lovely office in the country. So, <laughs> yeah, I I did I I like this song and how it didn't draw me out similar to what you said. I did feel like it was like, remember how he said that the door was open and he heard, you know, him say the whole thing about the weather. It makes me feel like that this is you hurt. This is you hearing it coming out of the car. Right. You know, instead of it being right there. Right. And you're listening to it like in the same space. So great job, Mount Moon. Great job. Great job, Mount Moon. We salute you. So I want to tackle this theory. Um, so what do you, do you think that at the end of this episode, you is killed? Dude, I, I hope not. But like, I felt like that was the, that was where it was going. And we didn't get that. It's like the completion. We didn't get that full completion. It's left to your brain, but I'm a sicko. So I think he got murked. Yeah. Because I mean, the story about you does end right there, right? So it's an and it actually kind of if you if you were to be dying, then it's it's uh, this is a story about you, and you were pleased because you always wanted to hear about yourself on the radio. So it's a you, you you're you're iced by the man who isn't tall, the man who isn't short, but you're at least pleased because there someone's talking about you on the radio. And that whole imagery about the planet, the big, the giant planet with the jagged. I don't know. It just seemed like use. Like where they were focused was more on that and like what and the vastness of the universe than their own well-being anyway. Because they weren't trying to like stop that person from doing that to them. They just like were accepting the consequences as they were. Yeah. Yeah. The knife presses harder against your throat, but it doesn't hurt. Your eyes wander up and you see above you the dark planet of awesome size perched in its sunless void, an invisible titan, all thick black forests and jagged mountains and deep turbulent oceans, a monster spitting soundless forgotten. It's so close now. You see it just above you. Maybe even if you tried very hard, you could touch it. You reach up. So that just like leaves you in like a crazy suspense and it's such a vivid image. And I love the that that there's some ambiguity for you to to decide what that means and what the ultimate fate of you is. Because this is like this is a drop-in and then we leave. You're not the main character of the story, but you you're always the star of your own movie. So for a brief time in this town, you are the you are the focus and the center. Not because the rest of the town thinks so, but because we're focusing on what's happening to you. Deep. Deep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it is the, the, I had something I was going to say, but I was, I was now lost in it. Uh, lost in thinking, thinking about things. Uh, uh should, should. Yeah, no, I was going to say that there's there's more. I mean, there's more to the story about you that we hear in future episodes. There's a story about us, mm-hmm. a story about them, uh, and uh, future things about the crates. So there's things that get built in this episode that pull forward into the story that we get to catch up on in the future, but we don't need to spoil them now. Yeah, I'd say for now, why don't we dig another level deeper? And enter the fan zone. The fan zone. Fan zone. Fan Stay right there. Good morning, Nightfell will return after a brief break. 
Do you have trouble getting the sleepies like I do, having a good night's sleep, like a full night's sleep? Let me introduce you to Feels, which is the premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. If you're like me and you have trouble, if you have stress, if you have anxiety, pain, or sleeplessness, then you just put a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. And if you're like me and you are new to CBD like I was, they offer a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash good morning and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash good morning to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash good morning. That's the sound of me smelling my own armpit because I smell like a coconut vanilla cookie. And I smell like that because of native deodorant. Good Morning Night Vale is very pleased to be able to offer you 20% off of your first purchase of native deodorant by going to nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code GOODMORNING at checkout. I find myself very lucky to live in a time in history when deodorant exists. Think about how bad George Washington must have smelled and be grateful that you don't have to go anywhere near that. I don't want you to be stinky. I want you to smell great. And I want you to do that without endangering your body with harsh chemicals. Native deodorant can do that for you. Their products are naturally formulated and aluminum free. So you're not gonna be slowly poisoned by your own armpits. You're gonna to have to find another way to die. And while you're finding that other way to die, you will smell great with a naturally derived deodorant that actually works. Native deodorant is not tested on animals, so no narwhals, which are real, will be injured for you to smell awesome. Visit nativedeodorant.com, use promo code GOODMORNING, and don't smell like George Washington. Put on your fan zone suit. Well, oh, what would your fan zone suit look like? Mine would be short shorts, a short, short jumper. My fan zone suit is, um, it's like a, like a panda costume. <laughs> uh, mine would be the silver uh, workout outfit that Martin Lawrence passed out in. <laughs> Perfect. Well, our first fan zone theory is from Kate. Okay. So what if Night Vale is the actual reality and the world we live in is like a reality show that the people of Night Vale watches and we are the actors slash actresses and are learning, listening to the news of the real world when we listen to the podcasts. That, again, for this episode also, deep. If this is true, I hope the episode where I ate a pie in the shower in New Zealand did well in the ratings. <laughs> I think it might have been the high, one of the higher rated a high point. episodes <laughs> on your show. I've always wanted to be on a reality TV show. <laughs> what kind of reality TV show would it be? Like a competition show or like lifestyle, life and times of... I want to be on the real world in the 90s. Ooh. So like one of the first ones. Like the er- yeah, one early of the first years. ones. When it was good. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe just when I was the audience for it, you know? Before it was like, they all just went out and drank their faces off and did all sorts of stuff to each other. But it was like when they were actually just like kids in their 20s figuring life out. Mine, I think, would be a uh, like a competition reality show, like 
what's that race one? The, the Amazing the Race. Amazing the race. Amazing Race. Yeah, like that. I want to be on that one too. Joseph and I watched that one. Yeah. I want to be on Survivor, but I'm scared of spiders and snakes. <laughs> but I love that show. I think it is one of the best shows on TV consistently. Every season is highly enjoyable to me. Oh, I'd also want to be on RuPaul's Drag Race. Fair enough. Just a just a judge. I don't I don't need to be in it as a drag queen. Yeah, I sometimes wish that there was a reality show for performance art so that I could like go compete. That's something I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> be like you have 15 minutes to create a devised piece of theater that examines <laughs> political themes, these political themes and these props. Go. I'm like <laughs> And then that art is subjectively judged. Yeah. I feel like that that would be. Do you remember there was that show that was like it was trying to find the new newest actor star people. It was like years and years ago. Yeah. And like, oh gosh, who was the judge woman? She was like someone famous, but I can't. I want to say like Lauren Bacall. It wasn't Lauren Bacall. It's like somebody like that. Lauren Hutton, and maybe, or something like that. Maybe. Oh, I, now people are going to be just like screaming into their like iPad, iPods, iPads. Like, <laughs> I don't. It's it's yeah. It's 2014, and everyone just pulls out their iPad to scream into. Yeah, it. and then they take <laughs> pictures while they're on tour. Uh, they're screaming into their Apple Watch now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but um, it, it was a competition show, and like every week, it was something different. It's like, oh, you have to do like a scene, you know? You had to do scenes with other people. I don't know. I'm gonna find it. There was work of art, the search for the next great artist that um, Joseph and I were obsessed with. It was like they would have to just, they were all fine artists and they had to make art every week. Wow. It was just like making art with not enough time. And sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad, but every time it was funny. Competitive art making, always the best way to do right? it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they do it with all those, uh, they did it with the like the interior design shows and like, you know, fashion and stuff like that. But, yeah. and that, that t- that's supposed to take inspiration too, but like they give them themes for the week or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of there's a ton of cooking shows. Top Chef. It's uh, I guess I guess yeah. it you know it makes the argument about like what is you know what is craft and then what is art, right? What does arts and crafts mean? My favorite food competition shows to watch are the ones where people have to do like something like like. Cake, like the cake battles or the ones where they have to do the candy and then they have to take it from their spot over to the thing and then someone always fucking biffs it and like <laughs> their shit falls all over, or busts apart and you're like oh because you know they feel like fucking shit after that they're like oh god damn it i worked so hard on this and then like one of the phoenix wings or whatever of that are made from spun sugar cracks apart onto the floor and everybody's like so sad for them and i laugh heartily should have used cereal treats they hold better <laughs> uh, i have i have a uh, a little something here from sajhu or sehu they write uh, a question i have is Throughout the show, we notice that Cecil has some sort of power to perfectly see what's happening at this very moment somewhere in the town, even if he seemingly doesn't have anyone reporting this to him, as well as a power to read the thoughts and feelings of the people he's reporting about. For example, in the very first episode, he said that he fell in love with Carlos right after he grinned, even though he didn't leave his studio and had no way of seeing Carlos. Other, 
Even more notable examples are, of course, all of the the story about you slash them slash us episodes, in which he was able to describe every little event seemingly seconds before it actually happened, not to mention telling you slash them slash us and the listeners about their own thoughts. There are many, many more examples in nearly every episode. I, of course, don't expect you to give us a canon explanation of any kind, but I'm very interested in hearing your own interpretations and explanations for this phenomenon. Thank you for writing. I don't know what the question is here. You There's set no question up, mark. This is, cool. but, this is a real story about you moment where something was set up in the beginning. It didn't necessarily pay off, but it is a very interesting <laughs> uh, It is a very interesting uh, line of, of thought. You have something on that, Meg? Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the, the question I have is, but then they don't ask a question, but they do bring up this thing that's like, how does Cecil know what's happening at the very the, at the very moment that it's happening somewhere in town? Cecil is, how can he be reporting on things that are happening in real time? Like what, what sort of, what sort of vision does he have that allows him to be able to see the story of about you as it's happening so that it's playing out in the moment that it's happening? So yeah, it's, it's he's the power to read thoughts and the feelings of the people he's reporting about. I think this this helps this is what has people thinking that Cecil is a sort of omniscient sort of person or that all of this is in his own head, right? Because how else would you know know these things if you weren't either making it up or manifesting it or that you were the all-seeing, all-powerful thing in this un- in this universe slash multiverse, whatever. Um, so I, I think that those types of things, while unexplained, I don't know. I think that leads to the wonder of um, Night Vale itself, personally. But I don't know. I just let things go. You know, I don't think too hard on anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, okay, he knows how people feel. That's it. I have honestly yeah. never thought about it before, but it is a very interesting <laughs> thing to bring up. No, I think it's a good point, and it's not. I'm not saying uh, how. You know, why would you bring that up? I just have never, I've never thought about it. I, I guess I suspend a lot of disbelief in me too, and don't get caught up in like, well, how is this possible and how is this happening? I just sort of accept it at face value, which is not, it's just my way of sort of going through it. I don't care how things work. <laughs> yeah, I never actually never really thought about it before either until I read this, until I did the deep dive into this episode, but. I don't know why it happens, but I'm happy that it does happen. I think it gives me like hope and sparks my imagination about what it means to be a storyteller and what storytellers can do and what the powers of stories of capa- are capable of. Because through this particular art form, it removes the the necessity to be having things set in a world where the journalists are not omnipresent. Um, it... Uh, can show us uh, a lot about how about, about what story is by removing that rule. And also, do you think maybe because Cecil mentions many times uh, throughout the whole series and uh, and even in this episode that we're being constantly monitored. So maybe some of that monitoring comes to the radio station too, so that they can have all the information. Possible. Yes, it's the NSA. Secret. Yes, it's the secret police in the NSA. But, uh, <laughs> hey, if that's the you know if that's the upside of being monitored is that we get the stories about you. Yeah, it's not a trade that I'd love to make, but I'll take it. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, so we hear from Bailey. Bailey writes to us with a question. Uh, Bailey says, a question that I have had for a while about Night Vale is, does anyone have a set map of Night Vale? Like, does Joseph or Jeffrey or anyone else have an idea of where each building in Night Vale is in comparison to each other? I know it's vaguely described in some episodes how far one building is from another, but is there a map that the creators reference when they're talking about the city as a whole? No. No. <laughs> nope. There isn't. Uh, as can be displayed through this episode where <laughs> they get into a car to drive away from their house and end up right back next to their house. Um, that feels uh, weird, though, right? I just feel, it feels weird, I though. feel like stuff moves around. Stuff does move around. And um, uh, Joseph and Jeffrey say that there, there is no map, but there have been some really beautiful fan maps that have been made. Uh, I have Joseph one. and Jeffrey, of, of course, don't use them, uh, but they <laughs> really like them. And I think that they're interesting and beautiful. Joseph has one in his office. Uh, so, or used to have one in his office on a squirk board before we moved. Might We still have it somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, so there is no such map that exists in the mind of Joseph and Jeffrey, but, or, or in the, it exists in their mind, but not in any actual concrete form. Yeah. Um, and then, do do we want to keep going from here? Sure, we can keep going. Okay, because yeah. I think we answered that no, right? <laughs> yep. The answer is no. Yeah. But I think it's 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 cool to to think about yeah. what a map would look like, and I think there've been some really nice fan imaginations of that map. Agreed. So next, we have a voicemail from unknown anonymous person about the voices for the characters um, and Night Vale. Um, I was just wondering how the voices for the characters were established and how all of the wonderful voice actors and the writers decided to create a certain tone and use of certain words and phrases to associate themselves with the character and for them to fully take on kind of the sound of Night Vale. Okay, Google. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, so uh, this listener asks us about how we, as voice actors, create, decide what these voices sound like. And personally, I, they asked about uh, how, like, creating the tone also for the, um, for the whole show. And I don't think most of us think about that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't think about the tone overall. I think we think very individually about our own characters. I mean, is do you guys? I mean, because I'm not thinking about, oh, I wonder if when I was creating my reading of Tamika Flynn, I never thought about how it played with other people. I was just thinking about the circumstances of the words that were in front of me. I, I guess that's that's how I approach most acting anyway. Um, yes, the environment of the world of the play impacts how you read something. But for me, in the character creation I just thought about her general set of circumstances and um, and I just knew her age, what she did and what what she must be have experienced in her life, in her very short life so far um, and how I how I would sound if that had happened. And she's been through some shit, man. She's seen a lot of stuff that most at this point she's like, well, not yet. She hasn't been brought into the world, but you know, in like that character, she's seen a lot of things. She's experienced a lot of stuff. She's had to do all this stuff on her own, and she's fighting a. She fights wars basically, and like protects the town. So, I feel like 
the way I voice her is based off of that and, um, and off the words as opposed to uh, the whole tone of the show. Yeah. Uh, and I think that comes through symphony. I mean, you, yeah, the, the voice of Tamika as you play it is, it's how I've always imagined her. So it's uh thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do a really smashing job with it and that you're uh, able to find the humor and the strength in that character through the, the way you voice her mm-hmm. as well as yeah, age. And you, you're able to kind of really paint the picture of Tamika with just using your voice. Um, and then when you're on stage, of course, you have your awesome, wonderful physicality. But, uh, but yeah, the, when you're just left to the voice, it uh, comes through. Uh, when creating the character of Deb, I she's a, a spokes haze that often gets ads uh, that uh, they're they're you know straight up advertisements. And I think when I was creating the character, I was thinking about what advertisements are and how advertisements are often a lie, a lie kind of told to you in a way that doesn't make them sound like a lie, that makes them sound like something you want. Right. So uh, so making Deb kind of sweet as pie and very kind while saying very anti-human things sometimes and uh, taking joy in the perils of humanity, but just, just as sweet as pie and uh, as uh, pleasantly Midwestern as uh, she can possibly be was uh, something I was uh, thinking about to try to I guess, comment on, on what advertising can be and what it means to be a spokesperson for something. Also, it's just real fun to talk uh, like Deb. <laughs> it's just real fun. It's funny. It's, it's, it's kind of hilarious, I think. That so. actually, I've always wondered that, honestly, like how you came up with, because I mean, it's a very specifically like upper Wisconsin, Minnesotan, similar sort of dialect. And I was like, that's so fun. Cause it's so different from your, you have like, I mean, you have a pretty like easy accent dialect to understand, but then you, you get very Jersey occasionally and I love it. Um, <laughs> so it's just fun. Cause it's such a departure from you, Meg, as a person. And cause you could have gone, you could have totally gone if you were going for like sweet, unassuming, like, and just like, I'm just going to tell you this. Like you could have gone Southern if you wanted to, you know what I mean? But I like that you chose uh, the the dialect that you chose. Yeah, it's real trusting. It's a real trusting voice. Uh, <laughs> but it's also, it's got a very wholesome American American tone to it, which I think a lot of advertisements, that's what they're looking to do, uh, <laughs> is to come at it from a, a pretty, yeah, a wholesome, all-American, trust you kind of way. And then they just say horrible shit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for Steve Carlsberg, I saw the script. I had one or two lines. I tried to think of what the funniest thing would be because Cecil had to yell at me. So I was like, oh, he'll be a nice guy. And the first time, I I don't know why I chose that. I just wanted him to sound like fun and dopey. And, but the first version has like a Texas accent on it. And then. But then the, it, it it was so long between the first time I did it and the second time I did it that I forgot the accent. But the rest of it was pretty much the same. And it's just – that's been a fun – that's a fun voice to play with, especially at times when I get to go, like, deep register. It becomes really ominous. Right. Like, I, I'm always looking for a way to take, come out of that voice, go as far away from it as possible, and then find a way to either snap back into it or gradually – like, it's fun to gradually come out of it and then snap back in. I think that's a really fun – I feel like every single one I've done, every single live show I've done has had that in it somewhere because they write a rant for him that is, like, terrible. 
you know, but that's mm-hmm. that's some of the the most fun stuff. And I always enjoy hearing you read your part for the first time because I'm like, oh, what is he gonna do with this one? Like <laughs> my I think one of the most memorable ones was the jazz, the jazz fest one, mm-hmm. where you go like super like you guys go from like laughing maniacally. It, like with each other, like about stuff, and to like a super dark place, yeah, and back, you know, and you just run the gamut, and I love that. I love it. It's so fun. And Steve is just like he's a dopey guy who lives down the street and drives a tan Corolla, and is like a norm. He's a dad, you know. Right, <laughs> I'm right, just right. A dad, you know. But then there's like things it's like almost something that's like set off that like turns it all the way around and i it gets creepy and you just are already talented with voices anyway if you don't know this about hal lublin he does the best impressions of a lot of people oh wait didn't you do that one where you did the impressions of all the hiram mcdaniels yes and one of them i couldn't get and i came off uh that was new york that was the old oak doors uh, uh yes. which we'll get to We'll uh, get there. Probably with it. Well, this will be within the first year because it's episode 49 A and B. But uh, like I came up, we did two shows that night and I came off the first time and it was like, I knew I'd nailed four of them and missed one. And and Chris, who's waiting off state or Jackson Public is like, he's like, yeah, that one is not quite there. And then we kind of worked on it for a second. And then I went out again and didn't get it again. So that <laughs> that haunts me. And it was really t- like <laughs> That that came up. Well, I'll tell the story of how that came about when we get to that episode. But uh, yeah, maybe you can do your redemption song. <gasps> oh, oh my god! I'll start working we need to on make it a now. Note. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. That's very nice of you to say, and I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun. All right, I think I'm gonna take us out of the fan zone at this point. I think that we've that we've talked for a bit, so I think I'm. Uh, I think we'll save that <laughs> uh, other one we have in there for next time. All right. So, uh, thank you all so much for, for listening with us this week and chatting with us. This has been a really fun episode to listen to and uh, definitely a really fun episode to talk about. Next week, we'll be back again, as we are wont to do, and we will be discussing episode 14, The Man in the Tan Jacket, where we will speak with Lauren O'Neill, who was Welcome to Night Vale's first tour manager and an early fan and friend of the podcast. So, we have that exciting thing that'll be waiting for you next week. But in Until then, good morning, Night Vale. Good morning. Good Morning Night Vale is a Night Vale Presents production. It is hosted by Symphony Sanders, Hal Lublin, and Meg Bashwinner. It is edited by Grant Stewart. It is mixed by Vincent Cachione. It is produced by Meg Bashwinner. Theme music by Disparition. Special thanks to our fans who submitted their thoughts this week. Leave us a voicemail at 929-277-2050 or email us at info at goodmorningnightvale.com to share your theories and ask questions or to tell us a story about you. Make it a funny one. Make it involve dogs. For more information on this show, go to goodmorningnightvale.com and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Nightvale Chat. Special thanks to Christy Gressman, Jeffrey Craner, Joseph Fink, and Adam Cecil. Today's adverb is comfortably. How many meatballs could you comfortably eat in a minute? I think I could do five and a half. Hi. 
high above Paris, near the very top of the Eiffel Tower, here an all-new adventure featuring this janitor. I can come? These stagehands. Jack! Letitia! And this drunken, out-of-control diva. Flattery will get you nowhere except my dressing room. The Orbiting Human Circus in Naughty Till New Year's. Listen now from WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents.